And we're live with our 161st episode of Absolute AppSec. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on Twitter, joined by my co-host, Seth Law, at Seth Law on Twitter. Seth, say hi. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode. Uh, we're, we're happy to be back. I know we're getting started a little bit late today. That's just uh, because of life, right? Um, but there are a couple of housekeeping items. Um, as always, join Slack if you want to uh, communicate with us. I mean, you're always welcome to communicate through the YouTube chat. Uh, send us articles, send us, you know, whatever you want, you know, throw virtual sheep. I don't know, whatever. Uh, but uh, join the Absolute AppSec Slack if uh, you want to go deeper and have some other conversations. Uh, there's been a good discussion going on over the last week about static analysis tools and how difficult they are to actually integrate into a pipeline, right? Um, and you and I have, have lots of opinions and feelings about that, but uh, it turns out that others do that listen to us. So that's good to hear. Uh, outside of that, um, KernelCon, there are still some seats available for that training at KernelCon. Uh, we've been posting out about it. If you haven't heard, we're going to be teaching there end of March. Uh, please come uh, if you are interested in our uh, excellent adventures in secure code review. Um, so, yeah, that's our code review course. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything else, Ken, today that we want to mention before we jump into our our stories of being old and being in the industry too long. No, just that uh, someone had asked um, with KernelCon, is it just on... Uh, on site and i don't believe it's a hybrid streaming in person is it i i don't think so i think it is just on site um i mean if they're forced to go virtual then everything's virtual but my understanding is that it's just on site at least that's what we've agreed to is on site okay well i sent a response back to that person and maybe they're watching as well so uh hopefully they get that or that answers their question so and uh, I, yeah. I have I had to book a, my tickets. <laughs> yeah, you and I both. We, we got to figure out where we have to stay, right? That might be a good thing to figure out this week. I have um, stayed there before and liked the hotel I stayed at a lot. So I will dig up which hotel that is and send that over. To you. I don't know why we're doing this live, but whatever. You're, you're, <laughs> so I'll send you. It's because this is when we talk. That's why. This is when this we is talk. When we catch like up. This podcast. <laughs> so this is um, meeting slash podcast for everybody to watch. <laughs> Outside of that, I have had a few people ask about our um, starting an AppSec uh, blog post. Um, I do have a draft of that that's written up that um, I'm going to send over to Ken, and we should have that up. Like The blog is about there to actually be released to the wider world, and I'm hoping to get it out this week. It's just always... I mean, with Absolute AppSec, if you don't know, uh, this is a labor of love for me and Ken. Um, it's not something that is, you know, that pays any bills or anything like that. It's just, we like to get together and talk AppSec. So hence the reason that we're here. Um, so uh, like, yeah, stuff gets pushed back on the back burner at times. So yeah, anyway, sure. it's not, it's not for a lack of love for the podcast. It's just a, you know, time, time thing here. So time commitment, right? Yeah. Yeah, we've all got other stuff. And I mean, most people, most people understand, right? For sure. Yeah. Um, we get to it actually, gonna, though. We always do. Yeah, we do. We always do. We always do. Uh, we, we will have another After Dark episode as well. Um, Ken and I just haven't solidified when that's going to be. Uh, might be tomorrow evening or it might be a week from tomorrow evening. We've just got to figure that out. Yeah, actually, to get a response from um, those folks uh so um they basically said you know like well the folks that we want to collaborate on with after dark um they're down to do it so and i don't want to like tease that sweet out yet or i don't okay. want to give out names and promises yet but i just need to put some time on their calendar sync up with you uh once we can get that sorted i think it'll be a beautiful cross collaboration for this uh after dark series that we're running and i think it'll be like the way that we can really do this without upsetting folks or having any hard feelings for having accidentally discovered serious vulns live on a stream. So, um, yeah, this is just a way to sort of solve that. I think it's gonna be pretty cool if we can work it out. So sweet. 
Yep. Well, that's good. So I, so that's coming down the pipe. That's just a matter of, um, again, coordinating schedules and making sure that we can actually launch that. But I think sooner than that, the, the blog will be up with those posts. Um, I'm also putting together a post of just like, um, I'm, I, I'm, you know, in my head calling it absolutely awesome AppSec, right? <laughs> um, so just a list of resources that Ken and I go to time and time again. Um, whether that's newsletters that we've mentioned on the podcast, uh, different blogging mediums, different discords, discord, right? Like just different places, places that we go to get news and then also to get advice, right? Um, I, I, th this was an interesting thing. I was talking with my, <laughs> actually, I was talking with my son. I've got a 16 year old son, right? Um, and he's taking a programming class and he was talking to a friend, told his friend, Oh, well, you should take programming because uh, when we get to the test, the the instructor actually has been a programmer in the past. And so he tells them, if you don't know the answer, go Google it because that's what every programmer does. Right. Fine. And I was like, that's amazing. Yeah, I know. I'm that's like, fine. that's brilliant. Because I've told I, I've told uh, my son that multiple time is, times is a lot of what we do is just knowing how to ask Google or Bing or a search engine for the answer or someone who's seen a similar problem in the past. Um, your search engine foo goes a long way to actually, you know, finding default creds, finding, you know, uh, known pages, finding developer documentation, like all that kind of stuff. If you can tease it out quickly, you, you can be pretty efficient. But I, I thought it was pretty interesting or, you know, that his uh, programming professor was actually, you know, giving props to that or actually giving time for that during a test, right? Like, oh, go solve this programming problem. But you can use the web if you want to, right? I mean, it makes sense once you, you know, because I've had this conversation with others where they're like, which programming language should I learn first? And I'm like, well, you know, I mean, there, there, there are ones that are, depending on your, depending on your preference or what you, if you need to get something done, there might be languages that are better to start with uh, than others. So like, you know, if you're trying to do something kind of like I want to script up some, I don't know, like stuff to work on AWS or something or, you know, Azure or I want to, you know, write a script to do something. Who, who knows? Like that. OK, if you have a purpose and a reason, then, you know, I'll usually with somebody who's kind of breaking into py uh, programming, I'll, I'll usually recommend like Python. That's like the one I, I typically like to recommend yeah. is sort of a blanket tool because it is it's it's a good one with the, the SDK support that it has. Uh, it's an easy, I think, to understand programming language. But like, ultimately, if it's not like I have a reason for the language that you know the, for for the language choice, I always tell people it's it's probably pretty irrelevant for the most part. Like, if you're using one of the major programming languages, uh, it's going to teach you you know what is an integer, what is an array, what is a you know, maybe it's called a list or a hash, depending on the language you're working with, you know, basically the fundamentals, when to use a loop, when to use like, you know, exception handling and catch blocks, um, conditional statements, ternary operators, you know, overwriting classes, implementing modules, things like that. You know, these are all pretty like fundamental concepts. So then once you have that stuff down, you can just re-implement it in any language that you choose. I mean, you, it's not, I think that's why it's easy to learn a new language once you've learned one. Maybe it, since you're, do, I'm actually curious, since you're, you speak both English and German, Seth, do you think because you learned German that you would, uh, it would be easier for you to take how you learn, like the concepts of how you learned that language uh, and reapply it to learning another language? Is there any overlap whatsoever or is programming oh, just like? No, no, there definitely is, right? Like the structure of language or the structure of programming language is built upon the structure of spoken language, right? Um, and it's it, it's very much that there's these building blocks of, um, I, I mean, I want to call them operators and variables, but it's really just nouns, pronouns, and how you construct a sentence. And um, like in German, it's a little bit different. There's different rules for it, uh, but you know, applying that to, you know, a different language. I, I mean, it, in general, that's how I start to think about it, right? Like you start talking about the cases and um, articles and, you know, sometimes some of the concepts we don't have in English, but I know we have in other languages and especially speaking again with my son, he did Chinese immersion, right? Which is completely different than, than um, 
German or English, but there are there are concepts that go across that that do apply. Um, yes, it might be characters, but it's also like you're speaking with, you know, someone who's a grandparent or someone. Like, so like, there's just these. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, like yeah, fundamental answers, fundamental, fundamental things. Yeah, yeah. To speaking, right? Like, there's fundamental things to speaking to communicating with another person, and with programming language, there's just fundamental things to speaking with a computer, right? That's, I mean, I don't know how far I can push that analogy, right? Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, on, on a basic level, you're absolutely right. Um, it's just like learning to do anything, right? You know, once you kind of get those fundamentals <laughs> down, you can apply it to different, I mean, I would say, I would ask you the same thing about jujitsu, right? Like knowing those fundamentals, probably taking that and learning a different fighting style would make sense. Right. Yeah. I mean, like, I think when wrestlers come into jujitsu, they're both at a, at a, uh, yeah, it's, it's like uh gra or I should just say grappling in the martial arts of grappling. There's like Sambo, there's wrestling, there's jujitsu, Brazilian jujitsu, there's Japanese jujitsu. Um, so there's like, which I don't, I'm not going to get into the nuances there, but yeah, there are certainly certain uh, concepts that are, are, are the, very much the same. Um, so it is easy. I think once you've or easier, once you've learned one to reapply those fundamentals, to the other, although this is the weird thing too, just like with programming languages and maybe, and actually I know for a fact, like with languages like Spanish and Italian, for instance, there's a lot of words that are the same, but don't have the same meaning or, or mm -hmm. the way you say something like, it's funny to watch an Italian. Like I had friends when I was, I was in the Navy uh, when we were stationed overseas in Italy who were Spanish speakers who would then try to apply their Spanish with uh, Italians and they would get pretty far, but then there would be like weird, awkward things where like, what did you say? And it's like, oh, those don't translate the same. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's very much like there's nuances just like, you know, in, from, from one language, programming language to another that you, you have to, you have to, uh, you know, get, it can be confusing is all I'm trying to say, but yeah, yeah. I think it overall well, does help. Yeah. And I mean, you could even go further than that, right? There's different versions of languages, right? So there's different versions of programming languages, but also spoken languages, right? Um, so colloquialisms or, you know, regional dialects, um, especially, you know, you know, in the U.S., right? We, 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 I mean, there's there's spoken English, but, you know, talking to someone from the deep south is di different than talking to someone from upstate New York or the, you know, the New England or Midwest, right? Like they just use different terms for things. Uh, Germany Pop. is even. Cola, yeah. Coke, Coke, everything's Coke. Coke. You want a Coke? Sprite? It's yep. a Coke. <laughs> Coke. Yeah. Do you want a Coke? Yeah. Uh, and yeah. And so in German, it's very much the same too, right? There, there's different, there's kind of regional dialects that are spoken. Um, you know, there's Swiss German, which is, you know, crazy if you only speak Hochdeutsch, which is like kind of the high German standard language, right? And like Austrian is a little bit different, like even though you can communicate, you know, just like in the case that you're talking about, um, those basics remain the same, how you actually implement implement them. And my analogy here, right, like, uh, you know, my, you know, is, okay, if you, if you talk about Python and just using like the print statement, right? from version two to version three, you have to change how it's actually called in order to yes. execute. Right. So I forgot so, about that. Yeah. Yeah. So there are definitely differences there. And then there's weaknesses, like the flaws that occur, you know, in spoken language also directly. Uh, well, I mean, we, we could, you know, we could apply this analogy to how actually um, vulnerabilities pop up in code because of that misunderstanding. Uh, and I know we're gonna review this article in a little bit when we're talking about different programming languages and passing validation from one language into another language, those misunderstandings resulted in actual loss of you know, money in this case, right? Yeah, absolutely. Which I can certainly post that article. I mean, this is a good segue for sure into, you know, uh, some some sort of interest and i and like you and i were talking and we neither of us had a ton of time to get up to speed on this article again just sort of busy these days but uh upon a cursory glance it um if at a high overview level it sound it sounds like there was uh i guess eth is like ethereum coin basically on the solana blockchain okay and 
it sounded like it was moved. So an attacker created some coins on the Solana blockchain, um, but there was, uh, so one is built in Solidity and one is built in Rust. I think Solana might be Rust. I actually have to, let me verify that. Um, Tack, what's hard for me to wrap my head around because it was initiated on the Solana blockchain, which uses, so, so Solana uses Rust, Ethereum uh, blockchain uses Solidity. And there was a an issue where the signature, there's a, a function called verify, let me find the technical, uh, all right. So there's a verify signature function um, and it's supposed to take cryptographic signatures, uh, bundle them together, doesn't actually verify signatures itself, um, which is interesting. Um, let's see, the version of the Solana program Wormhole was using didn't correctly verify the address, which allowed the hacker to create an account that could bypass all of the checks. Ultimately, what this hacker did was they created their own signature set, uploaded that, created the tokens, passed this check, and transferred out coins that weren't real and didn't really exist over to, I think, the Ethereum blockchain. And um, again, this is like hard for me to, it's, it's, it's just because like I just read this like in the, you saw it in the span of like a minute, I kind of glossed over this. But um, so this is all hot take stuff for sure. You should definitely read this article <laughs> yourself. But it's pretty, I, I wanted to bring it up because I think it's very interesting. I mean, obviously, you know, like I'm these days pretty interested in cryptocurrency and uh, I think a lot of people are. I mean, obviously a lot of people are. Um, I actually read an article that said that uh, the majority of millennials have more trust in the blockchain than they do the traditional. And I don't know if this is true. How, how could I know? But that's what I read is that, yeah, millennials are more, um, they feel safer to put their money in, in into cryptocurrency than they do the traditional um, infrastructure like stocks, things like that. Traditional that investments. Yeah. Which is pretty interesting. Wait, wait, so, wait, wait. Did you read it on the internet? It's got to be true. <laughs> Well, it was blockchain verified, so be <laughs> yeah, good. there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, hopefully, my dog doesn't freak out. There's a FedEx truck here, and she might uh, start barking. So we'll see. Um, no, but I just think it's interesting. You know, you have two different blockchains built on different languages uh, using a function that was, you know, it's like how many functions have we seen where they're named a, a thing and they don't do that thing at all, uh, which is a smell and an issue. Um, but this looked like a little bit more of a complicated uh, sort of attack. So I'm not sure if you, do you have any thoughts on this one um, yourself about how this all went down and just in general? Yeah. I, so, I mean, in general, this is the kind of uh, blockchain attack that I know we've been talking about for a while, right? Like this is kind of that, the idea that they probably didn't do a proper threat model on this process and then dig into each of the validations to make sure that they, they were happening as expected. Um, I don't know. This is, this is difficult though, because they were using a native program, right. Um, mm -hmm. On Solana to do that. But, you know, verify signatures was only, it looks like it was just verifying that the signature was valid, not necessarily whether the signatures matched what they expected, which, which is a pretty common problem with these uh, like wallet. I, I mean, wallet holders, right? Like that's, I, I don't know how else to classify them. Right. You know, but it's a, you know, you go to Coinbase or, you know, one of the other providers and they have a wallet that is associated with you, with your credentials, right? Um, custodial wallet. That's what I want to say, right? Right. And then they pass things back and forth through their own wallets um, that are on the blockchain as well. And somehow that verify signatures didn't, just didn't get written out properly or didn't actually validate those accounts, I guess, is what's going on here. Um, yeah. So it didn't verify the address. It verified that there was a, a valid signature on that, you know, for that right. wallet. That's what which it seems like to me. Which they yeah. made valid. By passing in yeah, because they, they created, yeah, they created one and then passed in their own signature. That's what they checked. And then uh, hence the reason they were able to bypass those signature checks and pull those Ethereum. Yeah. Yep. Pull What's those, interesting uh, is the coins over to Ethereum. What? Well, I think it's interesting the wormhole 
so this is from the wormhole officials. They, uh, they embedded it in the Ethereum tra transaction sent to the attacker's account. Um, it said, we noticed you were able to exploit the Solana VAA verification and mint tokens. We'd like to offer you a white hat agreement and present you with a bug bounty of $10 million for exploit details and returning the, uh, you know, the wormhole Ethereum that you've minted. You can reach out to us. Uh, you can reach out to us at certus.1. Okay, we'll see how that goes. Uh, good luck. I don't think you're going to hear back from that attacker. <laughs> uh, $10 million versus how much? $380 million, something like that. <laughs> yeah, good, good luck with that. So, Or 323 million, but yes. Who's counting at that point? Above, I'd say above 300 million, who's, who's counting? <laughs> it's ridiculous, man. That's pretty amazing. Although, you know, uh, I, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm pretty interested in... in, in uh, cryptocurrency these days and um especially after like we uh we had that episode a few episodes back with uh talking about um oh gosh what's his face the one who wrote signal moxie moxie's uh yeah uh nft nft article man i'm having senior yep. moments all over the place <laughs> yeah that was a fun one cool so cool. uh do you sorry yeah I, I started yeah, I started reading through the comments and yeah. Anyway. Don't right. do that. Don't do that. Not yeah, right. I'm not that article. We'll, we'll, we'll skip that. Okay. The, the next thing that we wanted to jump into was, uh, you know, pen testing stories. We thought this would be fun. Um, uh, this was on our list from last week. Um, but there's this Twitter thread that was out there. It was a, It's a couple weeks old. Um, but if you haven't read it, there's a lot of good... Um, just like experiences during our craziest pen test stories, um, what you hear in there, right? Like a lot of companies doing crazy things. And um, I mean, as we get into it, I do want to, you know, I do want to caveat this with this with uh, not all companies have these sorts of problems, right? Um, you know, but when you do run into them, it's, it's pretty jarring as a penetration tester when you're able to do some of the stuff that's listed in these threads um, and so, yeah, that, that's where I wanted to start with you is, okay, like if I ask you, what is your crazy, craziest pen testing story? Like, what is it that you think of? Oh man, I have a lot of stories, but, uh, I guess actually it's not even an AppSec one. It's the a physical pen, physical pen test that, uh, that I did that was like, I honestly, like, I, I loved it. I thought physical, I think the physical security stuff is super fun. Um, mm -hmm. But like, so for me, we were, okay. So it was me and somebody else uh, who at the time was a, was a friend and a colleague. Um, we went down to, this was years ago. We went down to uh, the South, I'll say, where there is a large, I, there's only, there's like a couple companies in the U S that have basically have everybody's personal data. Um, and this was one of those companies. And so, uh, we went down there, um, and the goal was to, you know, basically there's, there's a data center and all that's where all that data is at. Um, the goal was to sort of, uh, break in there. There, well, there was actually, there's a couple buildings, but anyways, uh, one, one was, uh, the main like data storage. One was where like you have, you can, where everybody works and builds stuff out of and has access to stuff. Uh, now the building that was the first building that was our target was, um, interesting because it had, as you look at it, it had a, uh, like the, the whole entrance where you have uh sort of, what's it called when, uh, uh man trap was, I think what they yeah, call it, where trap. you have yep. to. You got a camera, you got a badge in, uh, you go through, once that door closes, then you can badge in again. And then the next set of doors close, uh, opens. Um, if you've gotten through that far, you're, you're usually pretty good security desk as you come in. But again, if you've gotten through those two checkpoints, um, and you're wearing a badge, it's pretty good. They, they, they obviously are pretty, they have signs that say, don't tailgate people. Don't do that. It's not allowed. Um, However, the South is friendly, man. This is just how they are. They're very <laughs> friendly people. So that's one thing. The other thing that was interesting about this building is that even though you had that like initial man trappy style entrance, you could actually just walk across, uh, like walk behind the building. And that's where people go out to smoke. 
and then they come back in through that uh through the backside, which has none of the man trap stuff, right? Just regular just walk in. So that's where we're kind of starting. So uh, for recon, we went through and I, I remember sitting in a parking lot. It was pretty cold uh, and I've got a camera and I'm like trying to take pictures of the facility of people entering uh, of badges. Um, we would go to the smoke area. Neither of us smoked. I, I don't smoke, but you, you could go over there, hold a cigarette, like we got like cigarettes and just hold, held a cigarette and we're on the phone but really on the phone taking pictures of people's badges as they were taking a smoke break. So, and obviously back then I looked very much, much more normal. I didn't rock a mohawk and stuff. So it was very like vanilla, um, unassuming. Very, very corporate. Yeah. <laughs> very corporate with my, my Coles khaki pants and stuff like that. So anyways, <laughs> uh, so we roll up, we, we, we do all this recon. We brought a, a portable badge maker with us. So then, um, once we got all the info of like where the entrances are, how to get in, the kind of procedures. At one point, a security team uh, or a security guard, physical security guard doing patrol actually did stop me, um, asked what I was doing. I don't remember. I made up something. They were like, you need to get out of here. So I did. I left. Uh, I was in a rental car. The, by that time, it was fine. We had enough information. So we went back, created a fake badge for the other person that I was doing this engagement with. Um, and uh, they... You know, next day, how we planned with how we planned this was that person was going to go to the back area where there was a smoke deck. And like I said, just walk to the back of the building and he had dressed in like a nice businessy executive looking suit. Right. Um, again, fake cigarette or, you know, cigarette, not actually smoking it thing trick. Uh, and then he's on the phone and he's like, yeah, whatever. So. I, and he's got a bat and he's got that fake badge. Now it doesn't look super realistic, but it looks enough to be convincing. He kind of like had it on a lanyard and then tucked into a pocket. So, but it, it's enough of it poking out that it looked kind of legit. So then I went up to the man trap and I buzzed in as a guest. So then I just said, I'm waiting for my contact. We're in the lobby area. So as we're in the lobby area, um, you know, I tell him, here's the phone number of my contact. I give him the cell phone number of my counterpart who's in the back. Um, so he calls him. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll come in there. No problem. Uh, you know, I'll be in there in a minute. I'll, I'll come grab him. So he just tailgates the next person. He just he's on the phone. and He's acting like it's like a heated exchange on the phone. So the person in front of him doesn't really like uh, or like it's not heated, but like important. Right. Like ex yeah. important executive business. So he's on the phone and he's like, you know, doing the having this conversation. And the person lets him tailgate in because he's like, you know, this guy's got an important phone call. He's clearly an executive looking guy. He's got a badge. He was on the smoke deck where I was at he's got to work here. So he comes in, meets me in the lobby and uh, say, this is my contact guys. Like, okay. The security front security guard doesn't check his badge. He just signs in real quick. And again, he's doing the phone thing. So that he's like, yeah, yeah. Oh no, I'll, I'll sign him in. I got, you know, like he's really busy, really pressed for time. The security guard didn't want to like bother him to like pull out his security, his uh, badge. So that was our first hurdle, but like really, if you're at the security desk, you look and like you're, you're the security guard. If you look up to your right, there's like stairs. So you go right up to the stairs uh, that are visible. There's like a landing area and then there's uh, doors to get in at that point. So now we have our next hurdle, which is we don't have real badges. We need to get in through this, uh, get past this landing stage, which is within sight of the, sec the security desk. So if anybody calls us on anything, security's right there. They're going to come right up and say something. So what we do is we just hang out in the landing area, talk as if we're talking about business and we wait for somebody who seems like they're basically a timid person or somebody who's overly nice and wouldn't, you know, want to confront us um, about our badge status. So we picked out our, our target. Um, that person was like, you know, the door was about to close or or they opened the door and they held it or whatever. We, we came up real quick, like, Oh, like we, we've got business. We've got it. We've got to go. And he's doing his executive thing. Uh, you know, that, that whole persona nearly gets stopped. This is where it got really scary. Cause she nearly, this person nearly said something. Um, you could see it on her face. She wanted to. And I was just like, Oh, thank you so much. Uh, we got so much, you know, we got so much stuff going on, you know? Yeah. Thanks. And, uh, and uh, just kept walking. Right. So then, then the next step is we need to actually get into. So now we've gotten to this main corridor where people like push code, do all this stuff that's, you know, like pretty sensitive. But 
also this is where the security team's uh, desk is. Now we need, this is our third hurdle. We now need to get into the uh, security team's uh, area. Thankfully, that door, someone just happened to like, they just opened it, didn't even look behind him. We just walked right in. Uh, we were like waiting in a little kitchen area, you know, where they have like chocolate milk and coffee. And coffee. Stuff. It's, yep. it's like, right. Yeah, exactly. It's right across from the door that we need to go into. So as soon as we see, we're like hanging out. As soon as we see that person go in, that door is just kind of slowly closing. We just grab it, walk in. Then we just walk over to the security team's desk. We find them because we knew, you know, we had met the security team before. And uh, we just sit there and they're like, hey, what's going on? We're like, yeah. Hey, what's going on? They're looking at us. We're looking at them. Like, you, I mean, what are you guys here for? And we're like, <laughs> what do you mean? And they're like, they're like, where's your, they go, do you get, who, who brought you in here? Who's your escort? We're like, that's the point. <laughs> and they're like, wait, did nobody put you? And then we had to be like, yeah. So <laughs> like, and their desks, like their computers are open. There's mm-hmm. like, there's only one security person there. There's the rest of them are, had walked away to do something. And it was just hilarious. It was like this, this realize that you saw that the, the wheels start to turn and then start to realize, Oh no, this is really terrible. Holy cow. <laughs> and so that was probably my most, cause that was a multi-day, like when I, I've condensed that story, but it was like a couple of days of reconnaissance. I mean, we're talking about late at night. One time we were out late at night trying to recon the backside to understand how the entrance looked and how the layout was set up. And like a dog, like a wild dog or something starts, cause there's no houses around there. Starting barking. We don't know if it's like, I don't know with the wildlife around there. I think it's a dart, a dog. So it's like all these like roadblocks to getting into, but it was, it was the funnest thing ever, man. That's honestly, I got, the biggest thrill of my life doing that pen test. That was super fun. Yeah. I mean, those ones are always good. Like the physical ones for sure. Right. Like that, you know, you get like that, that feeling of, yeah. I mean the, the dopamine hit because you, you know, there's physical danger as opposed to just like virtual, which isn't quite the same. Right. No. Um, but it still can be pretty good. I, I was trying to decide which, which story I should jump into. Right. Like, um, yeah, I was gonna I ask you. Yeah, I don't. I don't know how far I want to go back. Right. Um, I'm trying to decide which one would would be good. Like, uh, if I should dig into something like from my uh, from my high school days, because we did all sorts of stuff that na- nowadays would be completely frowned upon. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I one one of my. You know, favorite experiences after I first got into security, right? Was uh, so I was doing pen testing for a bank, right, out west um, in the western U.S. And they wanted a so they wanted us to review the the ATMs, right, and their ATM network as far as how the ATMs were connecting to the mainframe. Um, if it, if you know there was any way to actually you know man in the middle those those devices if you could get physical access to them right um and so i i mean this is back when like even just setting up certs was a huge problem so most of the streams were all just plain text um you would see creds flying back and forth it was all like so it was pretty dangerous stuff for an atm so, network is that what you're saying for an atm network right like, oh my so, goodness that's terrible oh yeah 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 like i mean if you if you look at those old um yeah. Anyway, I mean, this was. If you want to know why compliance standards exist, this is exactly, <laughs> this is exactly why. why. Yeah. I mean, you know, they had upgraded a bunch, but anyway, so we get into the ATM lab, um, and you know, we're looking at at an ATM. Pop a switch in there, or not a switch, but a hub, so we can do some man in the middle attacks. Um, I fire up. Uh, oh, what's the name of it? I want to say ethereal but that's not it right that's the why that's why that's wireshark but um ettercap ettercap right okay um so that's the old man in the middle utility command line um and i'm just on a hub right so like we start to like i you know i turn it on uh, i just basically say oh capture all the traffic that you can and and you know broadcast out that you're the router for the subnet Cause I'm, I'm like and to myself, I'm like, Oh yeah, we're, of course we're on a, you know, we're on a QA network. Like we should be able to see everything. And, you know, so we start to run down this, this, this rabbit hole and, you know, we're reviewing the traffic, you know, um, 
but I, I made a fatal mistake in assuming that we were, you know, that it was only a QA network. Right. So, so within like, um, yeah, you know, we, we were in this lab for, you know, 15 minutes or so I'm running this, you know, I'm running Ettercap through my little, you know, crappy HP laptop. Right. That's got Linux running on it. Um, and then I get a call, you know, all of a sudden the phone rings in the lab and, you know, I'm like, okay, that's weird. Right. And we pick it up and it's one of the networking guys from the networking team. He's like, Hey, what are you guys doing? And we're like, Oh, we're running this test. And da, 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 da. I'm like, Oh, they, they detected that there was some man in the middle broadcasting that's going on. And, and he's like, yeah, you realize that that router handles the, uh, the, the traffic for our production ATM network as well. Right. Oh. And I'm like, Oh, Shit. Uh, yeah, I'm going to turn that off right now. So basically, you know, we're, we're talking <laughs> like a multi, <laughs> I was redirecting traffic for basically all of the ATMs, like all of the production ATMs on this and slowing down like everything, like th there was just no controls in place, right? Like, you know, in between QA and, and production in this, like in this scenario, but I was routing all the traffic for a, you know, a large bank in the Western US, thousands of ATM nodes, all those ATM, all that ATM traffic was flowing through my little like, you know, crappy laptop that was not meant to handle that amount of traffic, right? But it did, right? Because it was Linux, it was fine. But, you know, they did notice a slowdown in traffic because of, of you course. know, because I had actually put that into place, right? So that was the kind ramifications of, of what you could have done, though, are who are, cares are about huge. slowdown? I mean, yeah, that's yeah, ridiculous. Exactly. You could just redirect everything to your server and you could just, yeah, you just have everything, all the data, all of all the, data. the data, all, all of the data. Well, that was it, right? Because like I was saying, it was like unencrypted at the time. Like we were targeting the, the QA um, or the staging instance of the mainframe, right? So that's all that we had been looking at was the traffic that was going back there. But Ettercap and, you know, those tools are extremely those are powerful, right? Like, and so being able to actually see had I wanted to target production, I could have, and I could have started to transfer money or do all this other stuff. Because again, like I was saying, it's all plain text protocols back then. Um, there wasn't a lot of, you know, if you could talk to the, the mainframe on that specific port before they had integrated any of the, you know, SSL at that time, uh, it was over game over, right? Cause you could just send an instruction to say, take money from this account and put it in that account. And the mainframe would be like, okay, let's do it. Right. Like that was, that was basically the level of instruction that was there or the level of protection. So, so that was kind of a fun one, right? Like uh, that was one of those, okay, I, I really need to make sure on, you know, what exactly I'm responding to and how I'm using these tools when you're in environments that you don't necessarily, you don't necessarily yourself. So yeah, that was fun. I can tell you one of the, 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 and I probably, maybe I've told this on the podcast before. I actually don't know uh, who could remember. We're on our 161st episode. But, <laughs> That's uh, what I was trying to remember, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I don't even know if I mentioned it. But no, this is actually just really short. Uh, we, there was a military um, supply website and it um, we were supposed to be, I think I have actually mentioned this before, but I don't know, whatever. So it was supposed to be a QA site, um, uh, QA, QA site. Um, but again, there's a difference between QA site with production data and a QA site with QA data, right? So this apparently was the former QA site with uh, production data. We weren't aware of that. Also, what we weren't aware of is that they decided to have a delete user function. And the delete user function acts on a get request. So if you just click the link, well, if you click, the, and this is what confused the developers so heavily, they were like, well, how did you, like, how did you, what we ended up doing was deleting everything out of their database, like deleting all yeah. users or something <laughs> like that. Um, and they were super, super confused on how a tool could accidentally delete thousands of, uh, you know, thousands of uh, uh, records. And we were like, well, we had spidering on. So, well, how, let's look at how your delete user functions work. And we're like, yeah, it's a get request. If you click on the link, Yes, it'll have a JavaScript pop-up if you're using the website, but a spider doesn't care about your JavaScript pop-up at all. It just sees a get a link, and then it sends a get request to that link because no state-changing operation should be occurring over a get request, certainly not without a CSERF token, obviously. 
Yeah. Uh, so the two, but at the end of the day, you know, this was a DOD. So it was like, oh, the security people are the ones who are at fault at first anyways, until we were like, no, you don't design websites like websites like this. You have a much bigger problem. Like who's, who's writing your, your website? Like who, who's your, who are your programmers? That's, that's where it got a little dicey, but that, that was probably like one of the, uh, the, the, the more hilarious, you know, basically not well-crafted sites that, you know, vulnerable to the dumbest stuff that, and it shouldn't, it shouldn't have happened. It was just like somebody decided to write a website like that. So what can you do? Yep. Well, I, I mean, that sounds similar. Actually, I'm, I'm pretty sure VTM has that same problem. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's purposely vulnerable. <laughs> purposely be like vulnerable. Yeah. But that was, yeah, like it was one of those that I like intentionally put in there, but I've run into problems in the past with that because I try to like, I'm like, oh, I'm just going to scan it with burp or whatever. Right. And all of a sudden, like all the data is gone. And I was like, oh, damn it. That's right. Like, I, I forgot that we put that in there. Um, I feel like yeah. today's software developers are probably much better about this, but I will say like in the earlier, you know, in the earlier days of you and I testing, it was like a mystery to developers as to how when how we were able to bypass their their uh controls that written in javascript you know it was like it was seriously it was like magic i think nowadays uh developers are a little bit more aware of this um especially given the proliferation of developer tools embedded within the browser where it allows you to modify things on the page and then you know, a lot of developers use that. So I, I would, I would assume that's not as much of a, of a thing these days, but uh, it certainly was back then. People were like, Whoa, wait, you can get past my JavaScript. Yeah, yeah exactly. So. Well, and, and like, I, I don't, I don't have those discussions quite as often. Right. Um, but in, I, I'm in the trainings that we would give right back in the fishnet days, that was always a huge module was let's talk about HTTP and what the protocol actually is how you intercept traffic, how you can see and manipulate things, right? Because the, the developers wouldn't necessarily understand what that communication mechanism was. They thought it was all a closed system to your point, right? Um, yeah. And the fact that it was open was a huge, huge problem. Yep. Um, well, that's a cool one. Uh, the other one that I was going to share, I don't know if I've shared this one on the podcast before, but it, it honestly, like it was my, my introduction into security, quote unquote security, right? Like back in my high school days, right? Like, and, and I think you've heard this one before, right? Um, but there was a system that the, um, all right. So yeah. Okay. You, you know, nowadays, like your kid doesn't go to school, you get an email, you get a phone call about it. They yeah. tell you, Hey, you know what? Uh, your, your son or daughter didn't show up today. You need to like, let, you know, you need to clear the absence or whatever it was. So sure. when I was going to high school, the district, the school district decided to implement something along those lines. Um, and you know, this is in the early nineties, this is new technology. Uh, they don't necessarily know. I, I mean, you got a secretary at, you know, the district office that's actually implementing this and they load in like the, attendance per, uh, secretary in the office loads in the attendance records every day and it would call home. And of course, you know, as a high school student, we're skipping out or we're doing other things. We don't want our parents to know what's actually going on. And it's always a pain to go home and actually catch that call as it's coming in. Cause there was only the one call that was actually happening. Um, but the nice thing was, is that message board or that uh, the system that made those calls also was a message board system. So you could call up and get like the announcements for the day or whatever else. And us being, you know, like we had been, at this point we had been war dialing, right? Like, you know, we were scanning numbers, um, doing all sorts of stuff with our computers and our modems. Um, and we, we figured out, okay, that's the number that we call up and then we can interact with that system. So I think it was like, you press one for, um, you know, the announcements for the day. And then there was other options. We're like, okay, so if you can press one, what happens when you press the star key, right? Or the pound key on your phone. And what what happened was um, you, you press, I think it was pound. You press pound and it asks you, all right, what's the administrator code, right? And we're like, okay. So there's an administrative functionality that's associated with this message board. You access it by pressing pound and then giving it a four-digit number, right? Okay. And we're like, okay, all right. 
well, what can we do as an administrator? Let's actually figure that out. But we needed the administrator code. Um, couldn't see that on anybody's desk or anything like that. And so all we did, there was four of us, is we split up the numbers from zero to 2,500, 2,500 to whatever, and spent one afternoon going through every single option that was available, right? So you'd push zero, 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 zero. It would say no, zero, 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 one. Um, and I think it would kick you off after about five or six tries. So you'd have to dial back up. But that was the only prevention. Um, but we were able to brute force that four-digit number and access the administrative functionality of the application. Uh, and what we know, you know, once you got into it, one of the options was actually doing a, um, uh, a factory reset of the, of the system. <laughs> oh, that's messed up. <laughs> so oh. like, you know, it was, it was in there somewhere we had to like, you know, figure out what it actually is. Um, but when you did a factory reset, it would clear out whatever numbers were in there. And they were just like reloading things every day as it was. And so what it came down to is we would, you know, we'd skip school, one of us or whoever, like whatever in our group, we'd notify whoever it was that was on for the day. They would go in at, you know, three o'clock or whatever after the secretaries had left for the day and it was starting the call out <laughs> process, reset the system and they wouldn't know, right? Like it would just basically <sighs> flush yeah. everything out. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure it would clear out all the different announcements and things like that. But you know, we didn't care because they couldn't trace it back to us at that point, right? Um, and so that was my introduction to okay, like we're brute forcing, we're fine, you know, you know, we're determining how an application actually works. Granted, the interface was all through the phone keypad at that point, um, right. but it was a real good exercise in wow, what can you get away with if you have access to a system and they don't put controls in place, right? So yeah, I, it's funny you say that because like. Um... You know, I, I was not a fan of school and uh, in high school, uh, I wish I had that solution. Mine was less elegant. It was to go talk to a counselor about nothing in particular, uh -huh. for, but make sure it's like at the tail end of lunch. And then uh, we had block scheduling. So it was like 90 minutes. And then uh, so like the after lunch is basically the remainder of my day. So I just extend that conversation a few minutes past into the class and be like, all right, I got to go go take the uh, little pass and uh, that, that it says that he, the counselor would give you go take it to the staff. Like, you know, they're right, right in the same hallway. They would just be like, okay, you're excused for this uh, hour, not for being tardy. So that when the, when the teacher and you have to time it too. So the teacher like has already taken attendance. Um, and uh, but anyways, or no, I'm sorry. No, it didn't matter. Sorry. They, 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 they took attendance. They're going to mark you as absent. Uh, but you get your little note. Uh, presumably, you're supposed to go back to class. Don't do that because they've already marked you okay for the hour. And uh, that's how I got away with, this is not an exaggeration, ditching pretty much half of my junior and senior year until they got on and I got in trouble. But uh, it's whatever. I still graduated. <laughs> but there's got to be something about like the mindset of, of uh, what we, for people who do what we do, or we just don't. We don't much care for uh, structure and uh, find ways around things. <laughs> well, and I, I mean, that was it, right? Like I, I was like, okay, what were we doing when we were skipping class? Like we would go to like the library or we went to like, you know, we did like the geekiest things. Like it wasn't like we were going out doing, I, yeah, like committing crimes or anything. Like we're going to like the planetarium, right? Like I'm like, oh man, like it was like- or actual we, learning occurs. Actual learning, yeah, like- we were doing, I mean, honestly, we were doing research on computer stuff. We were, right, like it was, you know, it's all directly contributed to, you know, career path and everything at this point. But back then there was, there was no way to, to actually find it. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. so it was, it, you know, they were fun times, but it was, yeah. 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 I think that's part of why I went in the military, man. It gave me some structure that I like, I couldn't get around. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You don't want to try, even try really. Uh, no, but yeah, that's, that's interesting to hear, man. Like that's, uh, those are some pretty fun stories. I mean, yeah. I think if I look back at the earliest exam, cause this came up recently, the earliest example of getting around things, um, was when I was like brand new teenager and, uh, yeah, I, uh, I, <laughs> I told my wife this story within the last week and she couldn't, she couldn't, she was like, why, what? 
but uh, basically we lived in an apartment complex. The gym and the main office were connected. They had amazing cookies during the holiday time in the, in the main office part. Um, and what I learned is that the locks from the, the gym side of things, like the little small gyms that they have, uh, it was like a, the deadbolt was open and uh, like an open space about this big. And I, so I just took a butter knife and I could like unlock it. And me and my brother, would, so me and my little brother, we just go to the gym. We would make sure, you know, nobody's in there. Nobody's using it. We just use that butter knife to like oh, slide the lock, the bolt open. And then we just go in and just eat cookies. <laughs> this is awesome. That's amazing. So, yeah. Just dumb stuff like that. So that's probably the earliest uh, but, but, that, but, that but, I can but, remember of, of just getting And that, that honestly... I will say things like that, you, 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 we joke about, we laugh about, but it's things like that that I can honestly say I can point back to and be like, oh, this was a, an early sign and something that like that feeling of like, oh, I, I broke through a control and I like I got what I wanted. It's dumb stuff like that that really does shape, you know, who you become later in life and, you know, is a part of who you are. So, yeah. Yep. Yep. And I, I mean, I mean, it's hard to get, you know, angry with the kids when they bypass some of the controls that I put into place. Right. Like because of that. Right. Because I, you know, yeah. we, we all have that, like, you know, in, in at some level that you, you know, you don't want to be controlled or that it, it is somewhat appropriate to push back against those boundaries. So anyway, yes. yeah. Cool. Um, cool. Yeah. Now, now I'm doing research into that company that, you know, actually ran that software that you know, or wrote that software that I broke into. So <laughs> it got acquired at some point, but they all do. They all do. Yeah. Or go out. Oh, good. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I, I mean, if you have other stories, right. For those listeners that are out there, um, please, you know, jump into Slack share your best pen testing stories with us or with, you know, with us on Twitter or wherever else, right? Like uh, we love to hear that stuff uh, as we're moving through, or if you have a specific topic that you want us to speak on, please, please reach out, join the conversation. Um, yeah. Otherwise Sweet. I think we're about yeah, up for time today. I know we start a little bit late, but you know, we're going a little bit late too. So. Sure. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks cool. everybody for listening to our, Weird little stories <laughs> <laughs> for the rants of the day. Um, yeah, but we'll be back next week and yeah, watch for the blog posts and, uh, you know, uh, notifications or announcements on after dark episodes. I think I'm going to try Appreciate and line it. up Mike for next uh, Tuesday. Okay. So, but we'll talk more about that. Cool. All right. Thanks everybody. Right. Have a good week. Thanks.